Hey everybody, Adrian here, one of the co-hosts of Sidebar Forever, the new version of the former Sidebar Pop Culture Podcast. Every month, Sidebar Forever posts brand new episodes discussing and examining pop culture and art-related topics. However, as a bonus and a reminder to listeners who followed us in our previous incarnation, we're representing some of our vintage back episodes. Many of our classic interviews and roundtables will once again be available in our podcast feed. So, please enjoy this back episode from the Barchives, and don't forget to subscribe to Sidebar Forever on SidebarForever.com, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or anywhere else you get your podcast. And hey, follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you don't miss a single new episode of Sidebar Forever. On this edition of the show, it's the headbagger himself, artist and writer Jason Pearson. Best known for his creator-owned series, Body Bags, Jason joined us at the esteemed Sidebar Microphones to chat about breaking into comics and becoming a professional his relationship with friend Keith Giffen and his time at Gaijin, comparing the industry now to the artist-driven 90s, and his future with and beyond Mac and Panda. Many fans and peers thought Jason had left comics completely, but just for the record. Don't call it a comeback! No, what I said was... That's a bad start. I, yeah. <laughs> it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But right. go ahead. <laughs> no. Again? no, I was curious. Are they going to make it back to Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back to Atlanta? No, actually, no. by the time I get to Arizona, exactly. sir. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by the time. But hopefully it won't be as long as that damn song is. <laughs> you got to drop that like four octaves, dude. <laughs> by the time. <laughs> Um, no, we were just curious how you ended up in Alabama and kind of what you have on your uh, plate okay. now. Yeah, because we'd had no clue that you were this close, but that you weren't here. Well, I was in a, I was in Portland, Oregon, and I had resided up there for six years. Damn. Actually, six years to the to the month, and um, about five or six months previous, or actually about a year previous. I, I take it back; it was a year. Um, me and Kevin and uh, Doug Wagner, Kevin Gardner, the guy at Twelve Kevin Gage. Gardner, the president of Twelve Gauge Comics, and okay. you know Doug Wagner is his his right hand man. They had propositioned me to well, actually for the past two years they had propositioned me to bring him back body bags, and at that time I was like no 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 no, and uh, I was like I was flattered but no, and then they had the book called The Ride and they asked me to contribute, and it was with all the you know old guys and guys and i said yeah sure that's not a problem okay and i had a blast and then you know kevin actually sent me a a, a business proposal and he said this is what the what body bags can make just doing this little bit of work and i said well okay I, I, my my interest is only to bring 
just to do one more mini series, see how it does, and if it does well, great. If not, I move on to other stuff. Well, let me ask you, what was your trepidation in bringing body bags back? Well, let me let me answer the first one first about okay. coming back. I'm almost done. I, it was long story short. Okay. Point is, is that uh, uh, I said to do body bags. I, I you know, there's no money up front. And doing it through Image, you don't get a page rate or anything like that. You know, you just you have to draw the book and then wait three to six months to get your money. Okay. So it, being that I can't work on anything else, you know, uh, and being that I have to write and draw and ink and you know, oversee the colors and everything, I won't be making any money for quite a while. So to afford it, I'll need, you know, somewhere cheaper to live. And while I was living in Portland, Oregon, wasn't very cheap. Um, it wasn't expensive, but it wasn't cheap. It was certainly, I wouldn't be able to sustain myself to do body bags. Okay. Um, and he said, well, you know, uh, my dad owns a, a few homes here, and you could stay at one for a very little rent and i was like okay you know and uh i i had always thought of coming back to atlanta and i figured well this is you know portland oregon alabama which one's closer to atlanta <laughs> right <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know I'd, I'd take the two-hour drive over the five-hour airplane flight you know so okay. uh so I, I that's why i'm here and following on to why I, I i had reservations about bringing body bags back was because um to, to everybody's surprise, Body Bags initially wasn't a high seller. It was a sleeper hit, okay. and in which case that means the book didn't sell initially very well. Mm. Nobody didn't put any faith into it. And this was during the crash. This was uh, end of 96, right. September through December. Uh, despite what Wikipedia says, uh, the book came out, the original miniseries came out on time. Mm. Okay. Everything came out on time. Dark Horse took eight months to bring to put out the trade paperback, but that was their decision, not mine. Right. I wanted the, the collection out like two to three months after the the original miniseries did. But the original miniseries came out September through December of 1996. That was at the height of the of the comic crash, where like all the speculators oh, yeah. and heavy collectors left the marketplace. Right. Particular and, cover and all that crap. Yeah. Well, no, the, the alternate covers and all that stuff is still going on. You know, the publishers publishers were still trying to put that that stuff out, but there was nobody buying them. You know, okay. there was like people weren't buying five issues of X Men. Right. Once they realized that, oh, you know, their return investment it it takes. Oh, you know, fifty to a hundred years for that book to be worth something, <laughs> yeah, and you right. still don't even know. Right, you know? right. There's no guarantees. So yeah. So once people realize, oh, it's you, you don't buy a comic book and then tomorrow it's worth like you know five million dollars. Right. You know, so they all left. <laughs> uh, and and you know, Capital City distribution dried up. You mm -hmm. know, D Diamond took over. Mm, right. Uh, and so it was really hard. For you know retailers to really invest in and in, you know buying a lot of comics for their store, basically at that time they're like, well, they'll buy enough for their pre-orders, and then that's it. If they mm -hmm. sell out, great, they're done. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't reorder, or they you know like if it was X-Men, fine. You know, but a new book like Body Bags, they 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 weren't going to take any chances on it. So initially, it didn't sell well. Uh, it sold out everywhere. I had numerous retailers calling me, calling me directly, like as if I had any. <laughs> Can <laughs> we come like, by the crib and pick some up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. They, they were like, "We'll pay for the shipping. Can you just send me like ten copies?" And I'm like, "I don't have any books." 
you know, you should order, you know, you can reorder. Right. But then I found out Dark Horse made a certain number, and it was completely sold out. Okay. And uh, there was no second printings, and, you know, they Dark Horse initially said that they would put out a collection right away, but then they had just acquired the Star Wars license, and they were putting out all these Star Wars collections. Right. And they didn't want it to be all jumbled up, which made no sense to me. But the, the collection it's two, it's came kind out. of two different audiences in a way. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So the the collection came out in uh, August of '97. July, I know, July, or August of '97. Oh no, it was just, it was August '97, uh, uh, and it was eight months. And the, the whole point of it is, is that I was after I finished the miniseries, I was four thousand dollars in the hole with just my personal bills. We're not even talking about my taxes or any any major bills. Okay. Um, I had also uh, started getting very sick, and it was a condition I had for two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, turned out my appendix had ruptured, and uh, I was very sick for a long time. Wow. Didn't know it because I couldn't afford health insurance, so I couldn't afford the test to find out what was wrong with me. Okay. So I just kept taking antibiotics and medicines to kind of alleviate the pain but uh, uh I, I ended up having surgery in 99 and it was like go body ba- body bags is the greatest thing in the world but it was also one of the worst things in the world for me so uh mm-hmm. it you know I it, it, I it was something i could call my own but it was one of those what they call a pyrrhic victory right mm-hmm. um it, it, the expense was too costly f- to win the war like mm-hmm. you lose everything to win the battle mm-hmm. and uh it, and that's kind of what the case was with body bags you know and, and people were happy to see it you know and they wanted more but i was like are you kidding me i'm not ready to die for this book <laughs> okay this <laughs> it was just four issues you know <laughs> um and i i had no expectations i i just was just happy to do something on my own because mm-hmm. I was very dissatisfied with the writers I had been put up with, you know, over the past few years before Body Bags. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was happy. It was like a way of venting and, like, uh, getting my own type of urban comic out there, you know, right, right. Uh, uh, and, and and seeing what people thought, you know, my influences with hip-hop and lowrider magazines and and just the cross cultures of like the things i I experienced in la when i grew up there what i was experiencing in atlanta what i saw in new york and then it was just like you know it was all part of that that whole vibe there that i i didn't see in the marketplace you know Uh, uh, you see a lot more of that now actually yeah you see now it's it now i think body bags is right there you know, it was kind of like just before you saw all this stuff, like, you know, the 100 Bullets and all that stuff. Not saying Body Bag started, you know, helped create that market. I'm just saying it was just there at the cusp before that kind of material, you know, became came. in vogue or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I have to say that, I mean, because you're you're the first one to the, to the market, you probably are, can say you're safely the leader of the pack when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. To that point, Jason, um, you mentioned earlier about having something of your own to publish, writing your own story along with doing your own art. Editorially, how did that how did that work out for you? Was was there like a lot of double you know uh, answering questions on the writing front as well as the artistic front? 
Oh man, the writing now that was crazy. Um, writing now, writing body bags. Oh, at first, I the first thing I'd written was a Savage Dragon miniseries, right? Blood and guts, oh, right? Blood and guts, yeah, mm-hmm. back in '93. Right, and that just happened because I was throwing some ideas out to Eric Larson, and because uh, we were talking about doing something together, mm-hmm. and he, you know, I, we both agreed it'd be something Savage Dragon related, mm-hmm. and I relayed the story to him over the phone. And he said, "Well, I don't have the time. Why don't you just write it up, and I, you know, and if I like it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Okay, cool." And so that was my first experience writing. Okay. That was '93. Uh, I, I can't say it was my one of my better writing jobs, but you can still look back at it and see a, a small amount of potential there. Like, right. well, if I if if I learn how to write, then <laughs> it could be all right. <laughs> I have good ideas. It just couldn't. I had problems putting them together, and my my uh, influences were obvious at times. But there was a couple of little sparkling moments there. Okay. But uh, I liked it. I think a lot of the fans did too. I mean, yeah, it was, I enjoyed it was that. Nice, too. It was a nice departure from Eric Larson's style. I think. I mean, not to mm-hmm. say his style. Well, was... that was kind of the idea. I always had to, the thing is like, well, I'll do what Eric doesn't do. Right. You know, and I, I grounded it. It you know it made it urban you know mm-hmm. it's it's like it's you see the street level right. activity he's got the big over top you know monster fights and stuff like that you know and I was like well I'm I'm gonna bring it down to where guys are riding on motorcycles and people's heads are getting blown off exactly and, exactly yeah <laughs> I was like well he is a cop you know he's right. supposed to be a cop you mm-hmm. know and uh, I was the official first guy before Eric to draw Eric, you know Savage Dragon blowing somebody away. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. And he, it turned out Eric kind of got a little, he wasn't upset, but he was like, <laughs> well, I hadn't even drawn that. And I was like, well, you approved the damn story, so I don't know, <laughs> right. did you even read my proposal? <laughs> it was kind of like he dismissed my book while right. it was coming out, because it was like, I was doing things that he hadn't gotten to, or I mean, he maybe he hadn't planned on doing with Savage Dragon, and I think it was like, he was like, well, that's my character. You know? and I, I can understand it, you know, his point of view, but then he shouldn't have let me write it. You know, so. so was the title always Blood and Guts? I mean, there's a small hint there that it might be a little bit bloody and a little guts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, um, but I think it turned out all right. And, yeah. uh, um, and mm. then so uh, we all decided at Gaijin Studios to come up with you know, our own group of characters. Mm-hmm. Initially, we we proposed uh, an anthology. That's Ground Zero? Ground Zero to to Image, and Image turned it down. This mm-hmm. was back when Image was like, oh, if a book isn't selling 200,000 copies a month, then we can't really take a chance on it. <laughs> right, right. How, how, how different are things today where a book can survive on 20,000 copies a month? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, if it... You know, ten, you know, if you, you know, if it's all, you know, if it's image comics, you can, you can survive on ten. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they, they did now. They were like, well, we, we, did, we agreed that you know this book probably wouldn't do that well. I mean, we had Adam Hughes, Brian Stelfreeze, you know, the, Cully, me, Cully, yourself, Dave. And Dave, we weren't big names. We were still just up, small up and comers, you know, okay. at that time. And. Uh, what about uh, Joe's book, The Heretic? Because that's Heretic. Where I, yeah. well, I mean, but people knew Joe. I mean, the okay. point was like people knew who we were. Mm-hmm. It was just how well they knew us, and like it was amazing that you know Adam was the most known of us all at, mm-hmm. at that time, right? And he couldn't even his name couldn't even get the okay. So we're like, damn, you guys are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're, re- just like, they're, well, they're regretting anybody. it now, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> you know so we, we're Dark Horse, like, we'll take it, we'll take it, right. we'll take it, you know. So, uh, um, um, let's let's rewind the tape a bit, and then because uh, you kind of taking us back uh, a little ways here. Yeah, I did. I, I'm I'm completely lost. Now. No, that's cool. That's cool. You're doing fine. We, we'll try to help you keep stay on track here. Uh, You're doing great. But um, where did you grow up, man? Like, what part of the country did you grow up? I was born and raised in uh, Los Angeles. Okay, I thought uh, so. Okay. I was born downtown, but I I resided in Pasadena, California. Okay. For the first fourteen years of my life, and okay. then I lived in Inglewood, California, the wood. Uh, for the last year of my my time in L.A. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and that was my you know when I was fifteen before I turned sixteen, uh, and then I from there moved to Vegas. Uh, it wasn't a choice, but it's it the <laughs> yeah. only thing I could do. Yeah, if your and parents I, are going to Vegas. You're going to Vegas. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Sorry, son. Yeah, and. Uh, I graduated high school from there, and then about a year after high school, working, you know, jobs here and there, I was working at an architecture company, uh, running, you know, uh, on my little uh, scooter moped, running blueprints to the construction sites. Okay. Thinking of being an architectural renderer, you know, like the, you know, the cover sheet that's on blueprints. Yeah, yeah. People walking by the, you know, brand new building right. i was thinking of being that kind of artist and that's cool i was looking at getting in training into that and stuff like that and uh uh friends of mine we were all we'd all meet at the comic book store and a group of group of them decided to go to san diego uh and the first year they all went i couldn't go i couldn't afford to go but the following year in 89 i decided to go i had a, i'd saved up and went with them I got I got destroyed. I, yeah, I mean, every editor was like, I I didn't know what to bring. You right. Know, it was kind of right. like I I had no clue what was necessary to to have in a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, you you know, decide if you're going to be a penciler or you're going to be an anchor. I, you know, I was doing the thing where I was doing everything. Uh-huh. You know, that's the first mistake you see. You know, it's like be a penciler, be an anchor, or be a colorist, but don't try to be all three at the same time. If you're showing your portfolio to DC or Marvel. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Well, at least back in the day, okay. you know, you were you you were supposed to be one of the three. Now, remember, this is all before digital coloring, or right, right at the onset of digital coloring. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the editors were very particular. You mm-hmm. know, at that time, and uh, so I, so they I, hate they hated you. They did, they didn't like any of the stuff that you showed. Well, they saw potential. They every every editor said, "Well, you've got some potential, but you know, you." You've got a, a lot of things you need to sharpen up. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, you know, I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. And I don't know what it was. It was it just stuck in my craw. It was just like, all right, you know, this is achievable. I didn't I didn't feel dismayed at all. Because, right. like I said, I didn't know what to expect. Right. So it wasn't. Anything, it wasn't anything, anything was good at that point. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, exactly. As far as I mean, but I, I did, uh, you know, I was a bit arrogant about it. I was like, how dare they say that to me? You know, but it was, uh, uh, I had been humbled before, thankfully. Uh, you know, I, I remember talking about how bad Rob Leefield was in this particular issue of X Factor or something and like that. Still is. And, well, yeah, uh, but I remember at the I mean, he was super popular at, at this point. He was like 88, 89. Yeah. And, uh, comic book store owner, uh, his name was Steve. He looked at me and he said, "Well, he's drawing comics. You're not." 
In your face. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, one of the biggest things, you know, Ty Templeton gave me a really good, a really nice uh, review. I mean, it wasn't complimentary. It was actually like he he straightened me out. He didn't just look at the pages and go, oh, I don't like that. Right. I don't like that. Like a lot of editors, they didn't know how to how to tell me how to fix things. You know, well, you need to correct that. You need to draw that a little bit better. They would just say, no, that's not good. And he's like, why? Why not? But right. Ty Templeton told me a few things. I was like, all right, I understand what he's talking about. Now I understand what I need to do. Also, this 89 was the first year where I met Brian Stelfreeze and Carl Story. Okay. And just from watching Carl, I learned how to ink. Those three days, I learned, you know. So you guys were hanging at this particular, or met each other and kind of hung a bit at the San Diego Comic-Con in 89? That was the first time I met them. Okay. They were both sit, seated in Artist Alley. Okay. And they were they were doing commission sketches okay. for $100. Like, Brian would pencil it, Carl would ink it, and then Brian would watercolor it for $100. Oh, damn. Okay. That's, that's a deal, yeah. sir. Yeah. Oh, they had, a, they had a thing going there. Yeah. They had a assembly line, line yo. Right. <laughs> and, um, so they were working pros, and you were still trying to break in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, and I showed okay. them my stuff, and they're like, oh, man, that that looks really good. They were both like... You know, you you've got a lot of potential. You know, just uh, just keep drawing. And I was like, all right, all right. And it was I was watching Carl ink, and I went, okay, I get it now. Because okay. all I could find were books on how to ink, but it was like, unless you see somebody with a brush, you right. just don't know what to do. Okay. And for the following year, I would, I I worked at the architecture place. Uh, I had to be there early to change out the pens in the CAD machine, <laughs> and like six in the morning. Uh, uh, and then I'd work until about four, and then I, by the time I got home, I'd have to walk home. I didn't have a car. Okay. Um, I, and this is Las Vegas. Yeah. Where you know, it's hot as hell. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I would, uh, by the time I got home, it was about five, and I would eat, and by the time I was done chatting with my roommates and all that, it'd be about six, and I would draw from six till midnight. That's what's and, up. And, uh, I did that at almost almost every day for the rest of the year. Uh, just and I would just draw pages. I would just I I would just I do five page stories, make up my own little thing, and just draw five page stories hmm. over and over and over. Not the same story, but just different stories with different characters. I do a Justice League one. I did a Moon Knight one. I did a Daredevil one, and and it was just an attempt to each time learn something from it and get a little bit better. Okay. And by the time I came out to 1990, I still couldn't get work with Marvel DC, but I did <laughs> manage to get work with uh, a small company at the time uh, called Innovation Comics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. And Innovation Comics had just acquired, Kamiko had just uh, closed their doors. I was going to ask Innovation Comics yeah. had acquired a book called Maze Agency. Right. That's and the one that Adam was on, right? Exactly. Well, that, that was the one Adam was on initially, uh, but by that time, Adam was doing Justice League. Okay. Uh, it, it was just Mike Barr's book at that time, and mm. he needed a publisher, and Innovation Comics was willing to accommodate. And uh, I had actually moved out to Wheeling, West Virginia for a short amount of time to work right with them and get the ins and outs of, you know, like a, a publishing company and mm -hmm. see how it's all done. You know, I learned what I could, and in January of 91, uh, we all went to a New York comic convention. And, you know, I got to meet Marshall Rogers, and I was sitting right next to David Mazzucchelli. Ooh. I was like, I was like ah! 
Batman <laughs> Deluxe. Yeah, <I> <laughs> Rogers and Mazzucchelli. Right? Kelly. I mean, it's like, this is only like four years later after, you know, uh, <sighs> you know, Batman Year One, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, it's yeah, him, you yeah. know? And, uh, Imagine the letdown I had when I asked him, so are you ever going to do, like, Batman or Daredevil again? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I hate superheroes. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah, you can see the balloon deflate itself. I was like, oh, my little parade is being rained on. Good night, you know. Uh, I got my first taste of, like, you know, you know, Cynics and comics. Right, know? right, right. Like, People not being what you what you imagine them to be or having the opinions you imagine them right. having. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. But it was still at this show where I, 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 you know, DC and Marvel had a table there. Like, editors were there and okay. they were promoting new books. And, you know, right in front of my editor at, at Innovation, and he was he knew if I went over to DC and Marvel, he was going to lose me. Right. And he was trying to guilt trip me the entire time. He was doing all these head <laughs> games and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't care. You know, I'm not good. You know, I, I want to draw Batman. You right. Know? I, I draw Batman. Jason, we looked out for you, man. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know, but then, no, you can tell me. I was only, I had, I was just 20 at that point. So, uh, uh, I went. I was too young to care, you know. Wow. And uh, I knew what I wanted to do. Not to mention, and I went over to the DC booth. I tried to get work at Marvel first because I grew up being a Marvel kid. Okay. Right. And um, you know the whole X Men and Bill and Kevin's Moon Knight, and Frank Miller's Daredevil. Sure. And yeah. All right. that stuff, right? Yeah. So I was like, I want to work for Marvel, but uh, <laughs> I, I could never get an editor to to, Green you know, to be over there right. at the time. I yeah, I'd ask when the editors were going to be reviewing portfolios and they'd say, oh, 3 o'clock. They would never be there. Right. And I was like, all right. And I went over to the D.C. table, just like try my luck there, and I figured it'd be the same thing. And I got this great response. You're like Michael okay. Urey and Kevin Dooley, who were okay. you know, editors yeah. at, the at the time, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great stuff. Just send me your package. I, I have some work for you. And I was awesome. like, all right. Awesome, you know? yeah. And I, cool. I got some work doing Who's Who, uh, they had like this uh, Who's Who book they were putting out at the time, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Starman like too, right? Uh, yeah, I got the I got that one issue with Starman, mm -hmm. which Keith Giffen did the plot for, and Peter David scripted. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I got the job with Legion of Superheroes. So okay, you know. Now, now let me ask you that because you—that's a good segue into Keith Giffen. You've referred to him uh, in interviews and, and and in the Wikipedia. I think they they actually say you refer to him as as mentor. And oh, I, was, yeah. I wanted you to talk a little bit about your relationship with him and why you think he took a liking to you and has been, like, so helpful to your career. Uh, it, it's funny because over the years I, I haven't maintained a close relationship with Keith, but mm -hmm. whenever I talk to him, it's like yesterday. You know, okay. it's like I just talked to him, you okay. know, <laughs> like a couple of days ago. Um, what I learned from Legion of Superheroes and a lot of Keith Giffen's books is, I mean, it was just, Adam said it once, it was like storytelling 101. You okay. know, he's like you learn what the basic fundamentals of telling a story within a page, you know, like right. what what's expected to be seen in every page. Mm -hmm. And that nine-panel grid that I had to draw on Legion of Superheroes was very fundamental in how I, I perceive things now. Okay. And uh, uh, it was very helpful. Do, it was very helpful. Do you think it's one of those things where once you kind of got the basics, then you know, okay, now I know how to break, how to the, break how to break the rules and how to stretch the boundaries and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. you, yeah. you got to learn the alphabet before you can write. You right. know? And, and the thing yeah. was is that, like what a lot of people see, you see Jim Lee 
break all the rules. Like back then, I mean, Jim Lee was it, right? Right. right. But he was doing like these full page splashes and you know, you know, a lot of headshots and you know, it's just very little backgrounds. You know, a lot of pinup art in his X Men stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like it looked great, but that's not. That's not how it should start out. I mean, when you first see his early work, he was a very straightforward artist. Mm-hmm. But he had learned how to break the rules. But all people could see once he had become popular was how he was breaking the rules. And so they interpret that as those are the rules. And now, so you have a legion of artists who are imitating, no pun intended, a legion of artists who are imitating Jim <laughs> Lee, who are trying to do all this splashy, flashy stuff and don't understand the fundamentals of storytelling. Right. Exactly. But and, Keith brought it, his, you know, my, my work on Legion helped ground me in what's, what is expected, what is necessary to see, and how you can utilize everything to, to get the page done. And, and Keith was great in that a lot of writers don't do this now, but he was great since he was an artist himself. Right. Mm-hmm. He knew how to pace a story to give an artist a break. He's like, if he, if, he, if he asked me to do a crowd scene in the middle of a city and I had to draw all these buildings and all these people, you could pro- I promise you the next two pages would be just one character in a, in a, in a black room, you know? Because <laughs> he knew he, he, he would know that he destroyed the artist on that one page with the city scene. Right. And, like, that it would take, like, this extraordinary amount of time to draw that page. Right. So right. to make up for the loss, he'd give you two easier pages to do. Or sometimes even a whole book would be, you know, like devoted to just okay. I'm gonna cut you a break, so you can get caught up on your deadlines here. And that's like, that's oh, in, that is incredibly helpful and insightful for an editor to do. And you, if you don't have an art background, I guess you, you're not really gonna think that way. Right, right. No, no. Oh no, these writers today, I, I can't stand them because they don't know how to pace a book. You know, you sit there and like they just keep asking for complicated shot, complicated shot, complicated shot, one after the other, and then they want to fit, want you to fit all their dialogue into it. And you know, they're all into this like not, you know, this fragmented balloon, you know, right. these fragmented sentences and right. multiple balloons and, right. and you know, it's like God, you're just stuck drawing a certain way and. Yeah. um you, you mentioned about how you met Carl and you met uh, Brian, and they were working pros, and then I guess the Legion thing obviously came after that. Now, at what point were you were you working on Legion when you actually joined the studio and moved, yeah, and moved yeah. down south? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, I had moved in late 91. I was uh, at San Diego 91. I hooked up with Brian and Carl, but this time as a professional. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, I, I, I actually asked them, I said, where are you guys sitting? You know, maybe I can see sit with you guys or something like that you know i just wanted to you know i was just excited to. i just want to belong man oh yeah i just want to get a tag along at that time you know and they're like yeah yeah sit with us yeah uh. and uh because carl had seen my Starman issue and he you know i stayed in contact with him for a bit and uh during the year uh between 90 and 91 so when i met him in san diego 91 Carl was the first one to say, hey, we're starting up a studio. Hey, you, you should come down and check it out. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was like, okay. You know, and, and uh, I came down for a visit about a uh, month later in August of 91, and I loved it. They, they liked me. I, I, they felt I brought a good energy to it. So they said, come on down if you want to. So I came down in November, or no, October, early October, 91. That's right. I had come just like two weeks before Tony did. And okay. Dave Johnson was already in the studio. He wasn't a full-fledged member yet at that point, but right. he had joined. Carl was there. Brian was there. Joe was there. And and then Tony came right after me. 
And so. Tony was was he from Macon? He was uh, yeah he was in Macon. Okay. He was I think I think he was hanging with Craig Hamilton at that time. Okay. Okay. I think yeah I think that was it. Okay. And, uh, he joined and then Adam joined in February and then Cully joined of '92 and then Cully came in June of '92. Now, so. now now after your your stint in Virginia was there any trepidation at all? To move to the south, or was I? Mean, oh, no, was, no, it was no, no big no, deal. Wheeling was just so apart from, you know, anything. civilization. Yeah, oh, man, <laughs> I, I, you know, was, I knew. I mean, when when I went down to visit for that week, you know, in Atlanta, I knew it was fine. You okay. know, I was like, you know, my grandmother. You know, <laughs> she, she. I grew up primarily with my grandmother, okay. and uh, uh, she. Uh, to say, well, you know, they they burn crosses down there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's remembering the, the you know the the, the 1960s, right, you know, right, the, the civil times. rights movement of the 60s, <laughs> and particularly in Alabama and at, in Georgia and all that. She, right, right, she was right. worried for me, right, right, and right. Uh, out of concern, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So uh, I was like, well, I'm gonna check it out, and if I don't like it, I'll be back. And she's like, okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't see any crosses burning, so I was like, well, I guess I'm all right. Thank you God. <laughs> you know, you did see the Confederate flag every now and then, and you're like, wow, that's weird, you know. But uh, uh, when you guys, now, Penthouse Comics, did that precede Body Bags, or was that after Body Bags? No, that preceded. That just preceded. Uh, it actually, uh, Penthouse kind of actually uh, funded Body Bags was... <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, because I would make so much money on that. I could work on body bags because I was getting, even then I was getting a really low page rate. Mm -hmm. Remember, initially, Ground Zero, which became Blanc Noir, was supposed to be an anthology. Right. Mm -hmm. And when it turned into a miniseries, they didn't didn't change our page rates to match, you know, the onset of doing a miniseries. Mm -hmm. Like, they gave us a very low page rate. Okay. Which was okay. It was was workable. Don't get me wrong. it, It wasn't that bad. Um... But since this was my first writing and, and drawing job, and it was my own characters, a lot more thought had to be put into it, right. and um, it, it took a lot longer to work on that. But because of that, and during those times where money was thin, I could do a, a short penthouse job, make you know, like close to ten grand, and I could live off of that. Right. I mean, we're talking like a, a ten-page story. Okay. And well, I, I came. I, I would make about eight hundred dollars a page. Right. Right. I, 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 we talked with uh, somebody else who worked for Penthouse Comics, and they were saying, yeah, it was three times what I'd make at Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, easily. It, you know, the big picture of things, it probably would have been better for all of us to have worked for like Marvel or DC because those royalty checks were still really big at that time. Right. <laughs> but nobody was willing to wait. We all wanted that upfront money. Right. Right. So. Uh, you know, I, once I, I I got to find my porno phase, so you know, like Mobius did. And, <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, I've got a few more mainstream books I want to do. There's you know some more body bags I want to do, and then then I'm a, you know when I turn about like mid forties, you know, then I'm gonna hit my porno phase, and then well, dude, I'm gonna go crazy. I have to say, man, that a lot of the characters that were there, as far as the action figures go, kind of were like a precursor to Panda and and to Pops to me. Well, so, the style was. Yeah. I, I think there were some things there that, yeah. I mean, it was all about the same time. So, right. yeah, I was drawing things kind of similar right. in a way. But uh, That's a good thing. Mac was, he was primarily designed as the American superhero, like the big, overly bulky, overly right. muscular guy. Right. Panda was like Japanimation mm-hmm. with right. the big eyes and, and exaggerated features. Mm-hmm. And Pops was, he was my... Uh, uh, 
my my tribute to European art because uh, he had more simplistic features mm-hmm. in a way, um, you know, like the little beady eyes, and it was kind of a note towards Tintin and those books like that. Those oh European yeah, uh, Erge. Erge. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, like you know, the big eyebrows and stuff like that. And if you look at it, you can go, okay. I mean, I wrapped it all around in my style, so it's kind of hard to see it, but. The initial designs, it, it's a little more obvious. Right. Um, Let me ask you another question about Penthouse before we kind of move on to body oh, yeah, bags. Because right. I'm. Did Grandma approve, man? Oh, she had passed away at that point. She oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. And, uh, but it was funny, my mom, who was back in my life at that point, she was showing off, like, they had previews in Penthouse magazine. <laughs> And she would show them off to the people at the office, like, my son's in penthouse magazine. <laughs> and they're like, we really don't want to see that. <laughs> right, right. Like, Mom, you know, I did do Legion and Starman and, you know, this other stuff. She that stuff off, but she was like, you know. <laughs> Savage you know, Dragon. She, she'd show off anything I did at that okay. time. Well, so, that, yeah. that's mom. Well, that, that's cool. And I, I, the reason I asked, too, is it's not just about the approval part of it, but I know that some of the guys who you know who you know who worked in penthouse comics, they're not real proud of it now. Oh man, it, it was it was a blast. I mean, I made a bunch of money. I got to draw naked chicks. It was fine. <laughs> see, you know? see, you're a simple man oh, with yeah. simple I mean, needs. Yeah. Right. And the I story- mean, who's gonna knock that? You know, I, I I would ask every woman. Everyone be like, oh, I can't believe you're drawing that porno. I'm like, I'm getting paid this much money to draw this, and they were like. Oh, keep going, then. But you know what, Jay? <laughs> to, to your credit, you dude. You want me to pose for you, Jay? <laughs> right, exactly. You go. All of a sudden, their attitude changed. Every girlfriend's attitude changed at that time. Right. You getting paid how much? Right. Really? Right. Why don't you take me out more? <laughs> yeah, but damn, you know. Yeah. It always boils down to that. How many binges are you going to spend on me, right? <laughs> exactly, man. They, oh, man, they, they, they turn about face, you know. Right, right. So uh, no, I, I I don't have any problem with that. I I think there's I think the the porno avenue hasn't been explored completely yet because I think penthouse worked because you had these A list artists drawing, right. you know right. stuff. And usually porno comics, it's you know it's it's either European artists, which is great. You know you get like Milo Manera and, and oh, yeah, guys right. like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know they're European artists. You know you'd like you know getting to see Adam Hughes or Kevin Nolan right. draw something. Right, you're right. like whoa. <laughs> And right. what wasn't Kevin Nolan's stuff? I mean, that girl who was, was floating was, was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah that, was a, oh, yeah. that was Cyan, I think. What's the Cyan? Yeah, yeah, it was called Cyan. You're okay, right. okay. Like okay. The, the new Toyota car, right? Right. <laughs> um, but before we move on from Penthouse, Jason, because you bring up the whole idea of doing something that was kind of out there and breaking rules and even the money that you made with Penthouse. And this is something I was curious about because I read it in an interview. Maybe in the, in the News Rama interview, you talked about the early 90s was very much an artist market. You know, artists yeah. ran things. You made a lot of money. You guys were the, the immediate draw for people to buy books. And now here we are in, in, in mid-2000, and it's really a writer's market. Oh, yeah. And, and things have changed. Talk a little bit about some of the differences you see in terms of, you know, how things were then, the money you earn, and things you could get away with, and, and how maybe even how you were esteemed versus, like, how it is now. If, if well, it, it, it's, it's crazy how it's, uh, it's, it's not even a writer's market anymore now. It's starting to shift into an editor's market. Like, no. you want to <laughs> team up with certain editors because they control certain books. Okay. Um, uh, I think the power now is in the editor's hands. And uh, more so than ever. Um, I would agree. But with you. It initially, like I said, like when I first got in, there was a balance. But 
it, it, it seemed like, well, you had to work your way up to the major books. And that seemed fine to me. That seemed like, like what you would do at a regular job. You right. know, you start on the fries before you can get to the cash register. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Good you analogy, know? Jay. <laughs> so you got to clean the bathrooms before you can, you know, you get to analogy. the machine. You Man, know? So, it works. I'm going for that crew chief position. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, you had to wear the red, you know, the, the, the red McDonald's shirt before you could wear the, the blue. Right. Know, right, right, right. You know? right, right. Was that but, from, uh, uh, from uh, Coming uh, to America? No, uh, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. Hollywood I think. Shuffle. Right. I went oh, from yeah, fries exactly. to burgers to crew chief in six months. I'm talking about making it. You're making it. That's right. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Damn. Hollywood Shuffle. That was a great movie. It really was. You can't watch it now. Right, right. Got some whole cakes? Yeah, I'm done. But, uh, and then the image explosion happened, and yeah, that's when it really. I mean, the image explosion was there at Marvel. I, I'm, I'm the artist market was there at Marvel, but it was only with certain guys. And then when they left, they let you know the mass exodus, the image. Then it, you know, it was like editors were doing whatever they can to keep the artists, and that's when it all kind of lost control because. You know, an artist could say, "Well, you know, I want to draw X Men," and the, and and the editors were scared to lose that that new artist, so they'd say, "Okay, well, uh, they would create titles just so that that they could keep that artist." So and that's, that's how we got thirty-two titles in X Men. <laughs> you know, like X Men had like twenty titles. Yeah, right. it's insane. Man. Well, at least there would be five titles and then like ten other rotating miniseries. Right. And it maintained that until the mid-90s, until the, the crash, and then things started to settle off, and it, a little bit of balance was regained, but then that's when the writers came in and said, hey, you know, the reason why all these comics did bad in the early 90s is because there were no they stories. Were, they were poorly written, yeah. They were poorly written, so, you know, and, and, and that's when all the Vertigo writers started taking over. That's when Graham Morrison said, well, I'm done living hand-to-mouth doing, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, what, what was he doing? Grant, Grant was doing Animal Man, and all of a sudden yeah. he's the top-rated writer on Justice League. Like out of nowhere, right. yeah, out of nowhere, right? You know, it's like Grant Morrison. You know, all these, you know, I mean, and, and, and uh, Peter Milligan, and all these guys came out and just said, "Screw it, we're going to do mainstream comics," and they took over, right? You yeah. know, and yeah, it was it was strong. That was strong for years, and now I think it's starting to balance out again. And I think it's an editor's market. I guess it's always going to rotate, and uh, everything because I've heard from. Veteran now artists, guys are older than uh, you know, you know, who are in the game a lot longer, and they say, yeah, it, you know, these kind of people ruled at this time. The writers ruled at this time. The artists ruled at that time, mm-hmm. uh, and and that presents the problem I faced um, because of all this. My perspective of things became askewed, and it, you know, I would do like at one point, late '92. It was hilarious. We were all in the studio making fun of like the new Rob Liefeld Youngblood comic or something. We were all like just laughing about it. Right. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and it's Rob Liefeld and he's like, <laughs> and he, he asked for me. He didn't ask for Adam. He didn't ask for Cully or Brian or anybody else. He asked for me. Wow. And he said, "Hey, I hear you're doing a Spawn pinup. I want you to do a pinup for me, but I want it to be a double page spread." <laughs> and it was like this whole competitive market going on at the, the Image Boys. It was Jim Lee, Todd, and 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 Rob, and they all, and Mark Sylvester. And they're all competing with each other. They were doing the whole. I've got this artist. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I said, yeah, okay. You know, okay. I was like, well, Tom McFarlane's paying me a thousand dollars to do this pinup. He says, well, I'll pay you three. And I was oh, like, oh shit. shit. <laughs> so I came back, he said, I'll pay you two for it. 
And he, but you got no, no. He he said two, and then he said he'd pay me three if I do it before I do Todd's. Oh, <laughs> so guess what I did? Being the asshole that I am, I went to Todd and I said, "Hey, I'm doing this double page spread." Oh, he says, "Well, I want a double page spread." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I said, "Well, he's paying me three. He says, "Well, I'll only pay you two. And I was like, "I was like, all right, that's fine." Hey, Jay, gr- Grandma didn't raise no fool. No, she did not. <laughs> you know, but I, you know, it's like all of a sudden I made five grand for. Two pinups, right? God. And I, that was twice as much as I was making doing a whole book at that point. And that can spoil it. Superheroes, I was getting like twenty two hundred dollars, right, for a whole issue. I was like making a little over a hundred dollars a page just penciling the book. So, so, so when something like that happens, and you're a freelancer, and that kind of money lands in your lap, like, it, and you're twenty two years, you're twenty two years old, and, you, and you, you basically fall ass backwards into it. Was the temptation to blow a deadline and and like screw off and spend some oh, of the there money and hang no out? Deadline. Remember, this was right. the artist market, right, so right, an right. artist at that time could say, screw you. Right. The artist could say, fuck you, I'll turn it in when I feel like it, and the editor would be like, god damn it. <laughs> I got <laughs> to take this. Yeah, I got little fucking asshole. You know, it just, you could tell, you could just see that, you could feel them seething over the phone, like this young little bass is going to tell me. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been in this industry this, 15 I, years. I've been editor for 20 years. Exactly. And this 22-year-old punk is going to tell me he'll turn it in when he felt like it. Or maybe he'll turn it in next Monday. Oh, man. I'm going to whoop his ass at San Diego. <laughs> oh, no, no, they just had to sit there and take it, you know, and, and unfortunately. And, uh, uh, I mean, but that was every artist at that time. It wasn't right. just me. Sure, you know? sure. But the, the problem was that created bad habits. Right. And because of that, you, we all decided we were all illustrators and you know, it it the time devoted to the project is more. It's worth more than the project itself is worth more than producing the project. Yeah, there's a balance. You know, and so we. Yeah. They're going to publish my intentions. Yeah, <laughs> that's really what it became. That's good. You know, you'd hear artists talk, and it was like, well, I was really just trying to turn out the best work, and it's like, dude, you took two years to do one book. You know, before you know, where six months earlier, he 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 could knock out two books in a month. Right. You know, it was like Dale Keown was a monthly guy until, you know, he, he became a millionaire. Right. right, right. <laughs> He's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, you know, then he did Pitt, and he did Pitt number one, and then disappeared, you know. And right, like, right, right. And we were all doing that. It's not just him. We were all, you know, freaking out Guilty. over the amount of money easily made. But it created such bad habits that later on it affects us in that, in, in our pro- productivity. Right. And... Uh, you know, now it's like, oh, I'm back to having to do a page a day. I used to be called Page a Day J, you know, and the same guy Because <laughs> I had to crank out a Legion of Superheroes page every day, okay. you know. And, uh, and I would do it. I'd sit there and I'd knock out the page and then I'd go home. That's cool. Uh, or go out or whatever, you know. But, um, you know, and then all of a sudden I, I, I've got this rep for being one of the slowest artists in the industry. And I'm like, how did I get there? You know, so what, what is I'm it, trying Jack? to climb my way back. So. What what is it DC? Uh, uh, one day cock of the walk, cock of the walk. Next, next day, day a feather duster. duster. <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. That's right. You know, and uh, uh, if they have one editorial meeting and they say, "Oh, I was thinking about hiring Jason Pearson," and they all go, <laughs> I mean, "You'll never get that." That's it. Your career is almost done. Yeah. Wow. Black you know, mystic. because then, you know, and especially now that most of the editors that are working now, I. 
I wasn't working with them when I came in. Most editors I came in with are gone. And so the so relationships are that I used to be able to crank out the work, mm-hmm. you know. From 97 till 2000, I, you know, I wasn't really taking on any other work. Now about, I'd say I take 90, yeah, late 97, that's right. Yeah, I was taking little jobs here and there, like I was doing covers right. and short stories, but yeah, nothing to take away from body bags. Right. And then when I decided, well, me and Dark Horse came at an impasse where I just, I did not like the story I was doing. I, I just didn't, I'd, I'd written the whole thing out, it was six issues. I I laid it all out. I had drawn the first two issues, and I just I, it was like pulling teeth. I just wasn't into it, mm-hmm. and I was getting later and later on my deadline. And it took you know it, at that point it had taken two years to to draw those two issues, mm. and it wasn't because of my speed. It's not like I'm a slow artist. It's just if I'm not into it, I won't draw it. Right. I'll uh-huh. find anything else to do but draw that damn book. I would just do a cover. Right. Okay. I, and in like you know covers and short stories and pinups are easily forgettable. Mm-hmm. You know, people forget about them. You know, you've got to do books for mm-hmm. people to remember you. Right, right. Uh, and since I wasn't generating books, to a lot of people, I had just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, and that's funny you should mention that, because if you look at, at, the, at your checklist, and I noticed I was like, okay, four pages here, eight pages here, and they were all within a certain kind of a, kind of a time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, and that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, people are like, well, Jay, you didn't you leave comics? And I was like, no, I was doing covers and I was doing this. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's just like you have to remind them, well, I was working. Yeah. You know, but I was just doing a lot of little things because I was attempting to, to do the next body bag series. And, you know, a lot of things that I got away with with a little bit of luck on body bags, the first book, mm-hmm. I it wasn't working out in the second book. And yeah. I was falling into a lot of traps that amateur writers fall into. And uh, once I realized that, um, and it was funny because I, uh, I, this book was recommended to me. It was by Robert McKee called Story, and uh, it, it kind of reshaped my whole way of thinking. And once I read that book, I realized all the he, the guy was like, "If you're doing this, it's wrong." And I was like, "Oh my God, I'm doing that!" <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he said, he was like, "If you're doing this, you're wrong." And I was just like, "Oh my God." There was ten things like amateur writers do, and I did every one of them. Wow. <laughs> it was like, okay, I was like, okay, I've got to stop and and refigure this whole thing. And uh, and now I look at it, and I'm I I know people are pissed off that there was never a sequel, but I'm very glad because it would have been a piece of crap. But it it did it did break something in me where it's like, okay, I know. I can write, I, or at least I, I have the posi- I have the potential of being able to write something that people can enjoy. It's not like, you know, other artists had written their own books, but for some reason it didn't capture the audience. Mm-hmm. Like for some reason, body bags did, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, good. That's something to hold on to. Right. I'm not saying body bags great. It's not, you know, it's not Daredevil Born Again or anything like that. But it was like it was just <laughs> a little taste of glory that was like. That I didn't think I had, you know, I was like, right. I thought I was just going to be primarily a, an artist and call it a day. I thought I would team up with a great writer, mm-hmm. hopefully. So, so as as far as currently goes, you, you're working on the new body bags, yeah. But you're doing other things around it to try to, I guess, fill in the gaps until you finish it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm about like I'm I'm eking the last few pages right now. Okay. And and Dave McCaig's. Color. He's start. He's going to be coloring it. This start coloring it this weekend. Okay. 
and we're going to try and resolicit it. We're going to repackage it as a bigger book, and it'll have a- other extras in it. Cool. And, um, you know, because initially it was just going to be a 48-page book, and it was going to be out, and that was it. But now we're going to make it, you know, like a 60-page book or whatever, cool. and, you know, throw in a few extra things. Yeah. And then, because there's going to be a long gap before I get to the miniseries. Okay. So um, I'm doing a, a number. I've got a few DC projects lined up. Uh, possibly, uh, it seems pretty for sure. The writers haven't finished writing the stories yet, but uh, the money I make from those projects over the over this fall and winter will be able to, to sustain me while I work on the miniseries. Okay. And uh, you know, from what I've learned and how I'm going to do things uh, for the miniseries, uh, I'd like to get the miniseries out next year. Just a four issue thing, but it's going to explore more. Uh, of the other family members of Mac and Panda. Okay. Uh, turns out Mac has, there's a whole family of them. So I was going to say, are they equally as, as volatile and as, yeah, uh, they, as yeah, Mac they, and Panda? It turns are? out they're all killers. Okay. So yeah, it's a, uh, I've got a few things that are going to come out. I, I, I'm real excited about doing cool. this mini series and cool. I've got a few other stories, but this one I want to do and, and, and just see how it affects people and, and, and uh, go from there. Well, we're going to go ahead and let you go, man. But, but, I mean, again, thanks for doing this. Dwight and I absolutely appreciate it. We, yes, sir. We, we've always considered you, like I said, kind of kind of a, a friend in passing, and we definitely consider you a friend of the show. Yes, sir. Oh, man, I appreciate that yeah. a lot, man. Hopefully I'll catch you guys when I visit Atlanta. So For sure, for sure man. And, and, and good luck with, you know, with, with, the, with the new body bags and, and, the, and the other projects you got going on and, you know, the pinups and, you know, anything else that we find, you know, find out there circulating on you. You know, good luck with it. I hope it uh you know, we wish you honest.